I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, we've got a big night of earnings with Apple, Facebook, Tesla all on the move. We're breaking down the numbers, getting you every detail you need to know from the earnings calls. But we start tonight with a major market sell-off. The S&P 500 closing down 2.5%, and that is its biggest loss in three months. The loss is accelerating into the close with every sector finishing the day lower. The drop coming as we saw more outsized moves in names like GameStop, AMC, and Express. So what went on today, Guy? What's your theory? Well, there are a lot of theories. Obviously, GameStop is what everybody, and when I say everybody, literally everybody, you turn on radio stations, it doesn't matter what subject, GameStop is coming up. And I'm not suggesting that's the cause, but I think some of the root cause is the fact that uh, volatility was too dampened. And when you see a day, and listen, markets down 600 Dow points or so, seems like a big deal. In the, in the broad scope of things, it's not. But then you look at the VIX going from 21 and a half, where I think it closed around the last couple of days, to 37, pretty much in a straight line. I think that's telling you something. I think people are underestimating um, some of the headwinds here. Risk, people are being complacent, and that manifested itself in the VIX. And when you see a move of that magnitude on one day, again, generally benign day, given the context of what's happened, that to me is the underlying theme. And that's what we should be concerned about. There are certainly a lot of reasons why investors might want to take some profits as we are still close to record highs, Karen. But still, do you take a look at what is going on with the most heavily shorted stocks in the market and maybe think there are margin calls going on, that, that people are right-sizing their portfolio, taking off risk, and that is causing some ripple effect in terms of having to sell some of the winners in order to uh, cover these shorts. I guess. I mean, it makes perfect sense that that would be happening. I, I mean, you know, we heard about giant covers today in uh, GameStop. The, the whole thing, though, we talked about it on our, on our call midday. And, you know, it just it as an investor who focuses on fundamentals, which I know makes me really old school, but this kind of action makes me think, all right, the game at the moment is really, I don't know, rigged is the right word, but it makes me want to, uh, to take off some positions just because I think this is a volatile market. We'll have, we'll have a chance. Like I said, 600 and change seems like a lot. Really wasn't. There's was nothing that Powell said that was really surprising at all. Just, you know, maybe risk premium coming in a little. So multi high flying multiple stocks come down. Maybe people are taking some of those off. I don't know. This VIX jump is really concerning. Um, not that the VIX jump, it's, it's more as a sign of sort of uncertainty in the market. Um, and I'm one of those feeling uncertain. I'm always, I always have some protection on, but a day like today, I'm going to lose a bunch of money, no doubt. Tim? Well, this was a linchpin, but but it, you know I'm not really sure what this is uh, symbolic of or or really manifesting. You know the the causes like semiconductors are up 44 percent since the beginning of November. I mean you know the market by any measure was frothy. Uh, we've been talking about the IPO counter. We've been talking about SPACs. We've been talking about Bitcoin. We've been talking about cannabis. I mean think about all these asset classes um, and and so. Uh, back to what Karen said, look, the professional community, if you're a hedge fund manager uh, during times like this, first of all, you don't have to be in uh, somehow embroiled in the GameStop trade to be taking down some shorts 
uh, and, and covering some shorts, and therefore you're going to be taking down your longs. Uh, what you do during a period of volatility is not try to compound the volatility by getting more complicated. You get simpler. Uh, you take down exposure. And, and on a day like today, that is the case. And then look, the bigger themes at work here are, are there is a bit of a wake up call. First of all, what is the size of that retail money? Um, the, the, you know, what, what makes stocks move higher? Karen talked about fundamentals. Yes, at some point. But, but I think there's been uh, at least a, a sense within the professional community that there's no sense in trying to fight this. And I think when you had markets that were that overextended, this was the linchpin. Yeah, we talked to Tom Lee yesterday, who is a believer in the impact of the, the Reddit investor on the stock market. And this is what he wrote to us today about uh, the market sell-off. He said, if you had to attempt to explain the, the sell-off today, a surge in heavily shorted stocks like the GameStops of the world, um, that is, that is ca causing substantial margin calls. Also, forced selling by hedge funds on their long book, which we mentioned. Um, turmoil in the markets causing active managers to simply pause, which Tim had mentioned. And chaotic trading, no doubt, causing some prime brokers to raise margin requirements. We are not saying, or I am not saying at all, I don't think Tom is saying either, that GameStop is causing the market to sell off. But make no mistake, Steve, it is being perceived as being a force in the markets that is changing the dynamics a little bit here, mixing things up. Yeah, I, I, I would. So I, I'll go a step further than you. I think, uh, I think uh, GameStop actually is the cause, was originally the cause. And, and yes, I, I think everyone hit it on the head, de-risking, de-grossing, however you want to say it. So if you get tapped and you see GameStop run um, X percent and you get tapped and you have to cover your shorts, Tim said this, you have to take your longs down too. So it causes this mechanical forced selling throughout the market. And as Karen said, she could be long something that has a great fundamental story. But if she has to take down a short, she's got to take down that long. Mm -hmm. So it, whether you're a money manager, the long short hedge fund is always more long than they are short. So it has this mechanical selling or forced selling, if you will, of their longs. That's what's creating this. But GameStop definitely ticked it off from the start. Karen, you raised your hand, which is Can unlike I just you. Add, but go, yes, 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 please. I am not yeah, short. Right. Any of these, not GameStop, not Bet, nothing. I am really a voyeur in one of the most fascinating rides I have ever seen on Wall Street. I have no position, long or short, in any of these. Yes, that is important to, to make clear. Um, we mentioned, though, Guy, that when you see things, when whatever the cause may be, you see this volatility spike. And even if you're a fundamental manager that does the hard-hitting analysis like Karen does, you might want to just step back and say, you know what, I'm going to take a pause. And maybe that's what we saw, at least on the fundamental side of things today. From the long, you know, retail investor, the guys at home, if you're not like a Reddit guy and you're just, you know, average guy looking to invest your retirement fund, do you take a look at this sell-off and think, I want to go in those names that the hedge funds had to sell in order to uh, meet their margin calls or to cover their shorts? Do we want to go into, for instance, Goldman Sachs has a VIP hedge fund ETF, which is the most held stocks by hedge funds, names like Peloton, et cetera. Are those the names that you want to start looking at? Yeah, at a certain point, I don't think necessarily t tomorrow's the day. Mm -hmm. Listen, I, I, again, I, I understand the GameStop. I'm hard-pressed to believe a company, even after this move with, what is it, $25 billion market cap, 
is, you know, is creating the turmoil we're seeing in all markets across the board. I mean, what was fascinating to me today, sort of ancillary to this, is obviously AMC had a big move to the upside. But what does that have to do with AMC X? If you look, that stock was up huge at one point this morning. Why is that? Well, <laughs> maybe people just confuse the symbols. And, and it's, it's laughable, but it's, there's a tragedy in that as well. And a lot of this comes down to a lot of free money floating around out there, zero commissions. And again, when you see a volatility index, and I will say today is a rather benign day in terms of market moves. We've seen a lot worse than today, but I don't think we've seen a day where the VIX has gone from 21 to 37, pretty much in a straight line. Look at the last hour or so of the day. And that doesn't resolve itself uh, over one or two trading sessions. It takes a while to play itself out. To answer your original question, it should be on your radar screen, but I don't think tomorrow's the day to pull the trigger. All right, let's talk more about today's sell-off and bring, uh, bring in J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich. Marco, great to have you with us on a day like today. What did you make of this action, and, and is the activity and the highly shorted names and the astronomical runs they have had, does that have anything to do with what we saw in the broader markets? Yes, I think it has to do with it. Uh, as you guys mentioned, uh, basically you have long short investors, some of them running leverage, um, and like, you know, if your short moves like 10, 20, 100%, uh, that's a pretty big VAR shock, you know, like, so you need to close that position, you cover your short, and you're going to take down your longs. Um, you know, if that happens across few names, even if these are small names, it can produce uh, quite a bit of a market turmoil. Um, you know, that said, nothing fundamentally changed in the market. So we think it's a purely technical delevering on account of some of these stories. Uh, so we think it's actually buying opportunity. Do you think, and I'm not sure what, you know, the, the reaction you've had from clients, um, funds, about this, but do you think they change the way they trade? Are short sellers less inclined to short? Have the rules of the game changed at all because of what we saw go on with a GameStop? You know, I think it can it, it, it can be a little bit of a lesson. You know, we, especially our quant research, you know, we analyzed this uh, a while ago. You know, if something has a very, very large uh, short interest, you don't necessarily want to be short at, you know. So so in all of the sort of quant factors, short factors, you kind of eliminate the most extreme ones because these accidents can happen historically. It did happen. We saw that uh, in U.S. and Europe. And, and, you know, so whether it's going to change, I think short-term people are going to be just a little bit more cautious about which name they short, what's the short interest. Some of them may replace some of these single-name short to the index, index short. But long-term, it's not entirely uh, surprising what happened and, and not entirely unexpected. The magnitude of a move of this one stock is just uh, it's obviously pretty amusing. So, Marco, how long do you think, I know this is the trillion-dollar question, but how long, how long do you think this can take to, to bear out? Obviously, fundamentals are great in some names, and they've been sold off. How long can this, can this take? Look, I think, I think it's a short-term event, you know, because, again, there is nothing fundamentally that changes in any of these names, longs or shorts, you know. Um, and we actually think fundamentally uh, backdrop is good, be it earnings, be it positioning, be it COVID uh, or, or monetary policy. You know, so how long can it take? I wouldn't, you know, naively you would take until these positions are squared, which we know some of them were, uh, um, and, you know, from, from your coverage, so I would think pretty short. You know, now, yes, Wix at 37 doesn't feel anyone, anyone good. I think it's a bit of anomaly. You know, realized volatility, even with today's move, is only about 12 over the past two months. You know, so 12 versus 36, that's a pretty big difference. Actually, that's a record difference. 
Hey, Marco, it's Tim. Part of the rationality, I, I think, of the view that you've expressed on this show multiple times, and I, I can remember this near the lows of, of the COVID trade in March, uh, where you pointed out equity positioning and, and why mm -hmm. ultimately that was a trigger. Uh, I'm reading your note. You've mentioned equity positioning again as the reason that the bull market um, is, is not disrupted here. Can you put that in, put some numerical context on that, please? Yes. So when we look at basically 15 years, you know, or 20 years, you know, so longer term historical context, positioning is only in about 30th percentile. So that is low, you know, and the simple reason is because volatility is high. We see that today. VIX was, you know, 25 yesterday and 35 today. And, and when you have these levels of VIX uh, over the last year, people are not taking very large net exposure, type of exposure they would take in 2005 and 6, or frankly, even 11, 12, and 13, you know. So the bottom line positioning is low. Now, some people will tell you it's high in the context of last two years. Of course, we had the worst recession, worst pandemic. We had a global trade war two years ago. So in that context, is a bit high. But in a longer-term history, 10, 20 years, this is still a low positioning. So as I mentioned, 30th percentile, 3 out of 10. Wow. Uh, Marco, your target on the S&P 500 for the year is 4,400, which, according to mm -hmm. uh, our CNBC database, is the highest on the street. Is part of that this notion that cash on the sidelines will come in? And how much of that cash is being held by the individual investor, like the Reddit army of investors out there? And so are you watching this to see how it unfolds in that either the Reddit investor becomes emboldened because they're making a money hand over fist on these on these names or as some people posit it ends badly they get burned and they walk away from the markets for maybe a decade so i i don't think it's a reddit investor a robin hood investor and i we don't sort of count on them we think it's really institutional money so bonds versus equity so when you look at the sort of trillions of dollars in in pensions endowment insurance companies um, uh, asset managers basically we think that these investors are already um, there is a dilemma in front of them you know you have like a bonds which are yielding very low and frankly if inflation pick up picks up these bonds will go lower right or you have equities where if the COVID is recovering which we think it, it is uh, pretty strongly uh, then you will have a stronger growth and, and you will have a sort of a, a earnings growth and, and, and people will go from bonds to equity. So we really think it's institutional money. You know, when, when you look at the Reddit, I mean, you can calculate how much of these stimulus check, you know, like how many of these investors is not a huge amount of money. You know, they can move a dollar stock, which is like one or two dollars, you know, like small cap or micro cap names. Uh, we don't think they really can move the whole market. Okay. Marco, thank you so much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Margo Kalanovich of J.P. Morgan. And you may debate at home who's the winners, who's the loser in this whole thing, Karen. But there is definitely a winner in this. And that would be AMC today. And not because of the stock surge. Yeah. <laughs> because, of the, because of them being able to sell stock, you mean? Or right, the, exactly. We were not, talking about not this. just because yes. they're up 300%, but because they're able to actually use that to their advantage. Yes. <laughs> Well, I did a little work on that, actually, after we talked about it. It looks like they might not have any more shares authorized. They might have bought the balance when they did that stuff, when they bought stock at five or sold stock at five, four or something. They were probably delighted at that moment, which was only 48 hours ago, I think. But I think if I were any heavily shorted stock, you got to be filing a registration statement as fast as you possibly can right now. I don't know how long it'll take them. Apparently, they can still use their September financials. Those are still good, but they need to get 
new shares authorized. They ought to, I, I'm sure they're working on it because we looked, when you and I were talking the other day, I thought, well, this is great for the debt. This debt was, that paper was skyrocketing today because yeah. this company may be able to s- sell shares and get themselves out of financial straits that are, I mean, terrible. Good for them. That CEO has been working tirelessly. I hope he's able to take advantage of this and get some of that balance sheet debt under control. Yeah, AMC raised uh, $300 million uh, by selling stock. Uh, Tim? Well, you know, a name like Macy's that that I've talked about for, uh, you know, different times over the last few months for fundamental reasons. Um, Today, the last couple of days have been a gift. I mean, my my view on Macy's re-rating uh, has been born about the balance sheet is better. Uh, they've taken a, a, a real attack on their digital business and they've done very well with it. They've gotten inventories in control. But, but to be clear, um, you know, I sold half of that position today and, and you know, the re-rating of Macy's because it was a department store like Dillard's, but also because of, of short interest that at one point when I started investing, in it, it was 40%. But, and, and that's a, that's a tailwind of the investment, but it, you know, there are a lot of stocks out there. And I was looking through other names that I'm long Viacom. Um, you know, today was a gift. And I think in some sense, investors need to remember where you've seen these outsized moves. The other side of it is, look, I, I don't care where AMC raised money today. Um, and I don't care where GameStop is trading. There's a reason why these companies were imperiled uh, and their business model didn't change overnight. Uh, and I think with some of the companies that are real companies that don't fit the description in terms of either the penny stock or the size of the, uh, of the outstanding short interest, but are recovery stories. Uh, and if they've been caught in this tailwind, I urge investors just to take a look at your fundamental rationale for where you're still holding the stock. Or are you just feeling like, wow, uh, this could go a lot higher because somebody else thinks it's going to be pushed higher. And I think you have to be very careful about that. All right. We've got an earnings alert on Apple. The stock is lower with the call now underway. Let's get to Josh Lipton, who's got the details. Josh. So, Melissa, Apple beating here on the top and the bottom. Let's go through the segments. iPhone revenue was up 17 percent to a better than expected 65.6 billion services. Also better than expected at 15.8 billion. Wearables, home accessories, 13 billion. Mac, 8.7 billion. iPad, 8.4 billion. Also to call out Greater China revenue up nearly 60% in the quarter to 21.3 billion. Uh, I did have the chance to catch up with CEO Tim Cook. We talked about trends and themes in the quarter. We talked about that iPhone momentum. Cook telling me they're full of features that customers love and they came in at exactly the right time with where 5G networks were between the advanced on 5G and the camera. Customers really love the models. The customer satisfaction is literally off the charts. He also did tell me he is supply constrained on the iPhone 12 Pro now, but hopes to come into supply demand balance soon. We also talked about China, the iPhone franchise, how that's performing there. Cook telling me when the final numbers come in, you're going to see that we gained share in Q1. So it was a really good quarter. Great products at the right time. And we had great growth in other categories as well in China. iPad, higher than the company average. Mac, higher than the company average. Wearables, home, and accessories, higher than the company average. So China was strong across the board. I did finally ask him about pandemic and lockdowns. Obviously, that is affecting stores. Cook telling me taking the stores out of the equation, particularly for iPhones and wearables, there's a drag on sales there. I think iPad and Mac, he said, more freely go across the e-commerce. People are used to ordering those across online, so more of that business shifts. Apple did not provide formal guidance, so we're waiting for more color and commentary on the call. Back to you. And Josh, correct me me if I'm wrong, but they didn't provide guidance the previous quarter, right? I mean, this has been sort of 
something that has gone on during the pandemic. So if investors are waiting for guidance, we might not get it just as we didn't get it the previous quarter. Yeah, no, I, I, we, we didn't. And I asked yeah. him, Cook, about that. Why no formal guidance? He said, listen, it's a pandemic. It's an uncertain environment. Didn't obviously feel right to give those level specifics. But remember, we did get more color and more commentary specifically from CFO Luca Maestri about how we saw those trends and themes playing out. So we're hoping for that on this call as well. All right, Josh, thanks. Keep us posted. Josh Lifton on Apple. And of course, we're watching Apple because it's Apple. And also, given the market uh, sell-off today, Guy, it takes on a whole new context in terms of the impact tomorrow. Yeah, listen, it's a ridiculously strong quarter. I mean, if you want the flip side of it, if you're looking for the naysayer, it's the fact that, listen, they smoked revenue. The revenue beat is ridiculous. And, and services revenue was a significant beat. Problem is, if people want to look for a problem, is now the product mix, service revenue, is probably 14.5% of this quarter. Again, I'm probably nitpicking here, and maybe that's what the naysayer can look towards. But, you know, again, there's, no, there's really nothing not to like here other than the fact that it's now trading, you know, probably 32 times or so next year's numbers. That is the, the deep end of the pool for Apple. Uh, but, again, a lot of people, Jerome Powell included, have said valuations in this interest rate environment really don't make a difference. So I'm interested to see how it does trade tomorrow on the back of this. Yeah, in this risk-off environment, the 10-year yield went back down closer to 1%. Karen, what did you make of this quarter and and Apple's valuation here? I I agree with Guy. I mean, there's not a lot to to poke at and say, well, they could have done better. In fact, I don't really see anything. It was extraordinary. It's a day where, you know, high flyers, and I don't even think of Apple as a particular high flyer, are not being rewarded. It's run up a lot. Um, the bar was high. I actually think they jumped over the bar. Um, so um, I'm hanging on to it. I, I don't really, it doesn't bother me that it's down a little bit. It's had an extraordinary run. If you step back a tiny bit, it's still had an extraordinary run. This is hardly down at all. So uh, I'm hanging on to it. That was really an astounding quarter. I'd love to hear the commentary about, I also, I think we're early on in, in, in 5G. We've got a lot more to come. Yeah, I mean, this could just be the, the start of what bullish analysts are calling the super cycle for, for Apple. But does this tell us, Tim, um, at all, just give us a clue about tomorrow's trading to see Apple stock down eight-tenths of a percent after it was you know, down during the regular session? Right. Well, that, that's, that's really key. Because is, is Apple going to move the market higher or is the market going to move Apple lower or you know, some combination of that? The market doesn't move uh, higher without Apple here, in my view, uh, substantially. But I, I, I think these numbers, we've, we've all gone into the, the, the superlatives here. So um, yeah, Apple moved 35 percent into these numbers off November. And, and, and so I, I think you have a dynamic here. What are the biggest drivers for Apple? Uh, to me, in terms of the multiple, they've been services revenue, which, again, was up 23.7 percent year over year. And then China. You know, when you talk about this as a growth story, so China growth up 57 percent year over year. Those are the biggest drivers in a refresh cycle that's 18 two months. So uh, back to the market. Look, 7 percent of the S&P, uh, Apple, incredibly important. Uh, Microsoft, incredibly important. And, and, and I think that the, the fundamentals behind these companies are very, very strong uh, and lock that into cash positioning and let the market settle through this difficult period. But there's nothing here uh, that tells you Apple should be taking a major pullback. What do you want to hear from the conference call, Steve? Well, when you look at when you look at just the services business, we're honing in on fifty four billion dollars. That's when we started doing uh, Apple coverage on services. It it was a non-event. 
and the work from home, it's helped on the hardware side, the entertainment side, people are binging movies, the arcade side. But as Tim and Karen said, huge move from November and December. I'm actually long the name. I'm staying long the name. Oh, you're long now. Interesting. All right, coming up, earnings palooza just getting started. Tesla and Facebook shares all on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details next and later. Wall Street's Reddit rebellion continues, and with it comes ridiculous moves in some of the most shorted names in the market. We'll dive into the options pits to break down the trades. More Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook out with earnings. The stock is higher now in the after-hour session as the company's call gets underway. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook beating expectations on the top and bottom line, benefiting from growing e-commerce in the fourth quarter. The company also adding more daily and monthly active users than analysts anticipated. But the stock did drop as much as five and a half percent in after hours trading on the company's warnings of challenges coming in 2021, saying in the second half of the year, the company will lag periods of increasingly strong lap periods of increasingly strong growth which will pressure year over year growth rates also saying there are more significant ad targeting headwinds coming citing european regulations as well as apple's upcoming operating system ios 14 saying they expect to see an impact beginning late in the first quarter now on the earnings call just now ceo mark zuckerberg taking aim at apple we increasingly see apple um, as one of our biggest competitors. iMessage is a key linchpin of their ecosystem. Uh, it comes pre-installed on every iPhone, um, and they've preferenced it with private APIs and permissions, which is, is why iMessage is the, the most used messaging service in the U.S. Zuckerberg also warning about the negative impact that the new iOS 14 will have on small businesses, saying, they, saying that they will be unable to reach their consumers um, in addition to that criticism of Apple's messaging tools. And Melissa, one other thing, Facebook announced that the board authorized up to an additional $25 billion share repurchasing. Guys, back over to you. I guess, Julia, in, in terms of the guidance, the thing to remember is that during the pandemic, Facebook is one of the businesses that actually did well. So the comparisons get tougher as they lap the pandemic versus a lot of other companies, which actually benefit because of weak comparisons. Is that is that right? Exactly. It's going to be tough, especially in the second half of the year in terms of those comparisons. All right, Julia, keep us posted on the call. Thank you, Julia Borston. Um, Tim Seymour, what do you think of the quarter? Great quarter. I, I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm obsessed with this you know, WWF style, you know, who, who Apple versus Facebook, this is incredible. And, and, and again, going right there. And, and if you, you know, I'm looking at the news monitor on Facebook saying, you know, again, more of these comments from Zuckerberg, Apple has an incentive to interfere uh, with, with our apps and other people's apps on their dominant platform. Um, and, and the fact that Facebook has acknowledged this in the way that they have, whether it's as material as they're making it, they're clearly sending a message, and we've just begun here. And, and I think it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting. And in terms of brand loyalty uh, and, and where the consumer is, who's got a more trusted brand, Apple or Facebook? Uh, I think I know the answer, um, but I think this is very interesting. Yeah. Um, Karen, what did you think of Facebook? And also $25 billion share repurchase program. That's, that's good news for investors. Right. That's good. I think that, I mean, the stock is not expensive here. The quarter was outstanding. 
I think to punish the stock in any way because they said there's uncertainty about 2021, that's ridiculous. I think any management that would come out and say we have great certainty about how 2021 is going to play out, that wouldn't really fly with me. So we've seen this over and over again. Apple reports great numbers, and then they want to sort of talk down expectations. That, uh, it, they may very well be right, but nothing from this at the moment shows me that this stock is, this is not a crazy valuation at all for an extraordinary company. Uh, I mean, that revenue growth is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, and the buyback's great, that helps. It's a little, it's a little uh, accretive to earnings. It doesn't really move the needle. It's not why I'm in it. Right. Um, it, you know, a lot of companies are getting a free pass and not to, for not giving guidance. And here we are, Facebook, giving guidance, which may be perceived as extremely conservative. And why not? We are in the midst of a pandemic. Guy, so what do you make of this move in Facebook in the after-hours session? Should be significantly higher. I think that probably the broader market itself today is holding some of these things back. And I've said it for a while. I mean, there's nothing about Facebook, the platform, that I like at all. Uh, but the stock is ridiculous. It's it's amazing quarter. And all you can talk about monthly average users, daily average users. The number stuck out to me. Tim's ARPU uh, for the U.S. was $53. Street was looking for $49. That's up from $41 same quarter last year. I mean, the growth rate is significant. Same thing in Europe and to a certain extent, same thing in Asia. I mean, those ARPU numbers are magnificent. Stock should, the stock theoretically should be testing those late August, early September highs of 304. I'd be interested to see how it, that trades tomorrow as well on the back of what was a historic quarter. ARPU, of course, being average revenue per user. <laughs> Coming up, Tesla on the move as a red-hot day trader favorite just reported earnings. We'll bring you the full report next. Plus, we're still monitoring all the after-hours action in, Apple share, in, uh, in all these stocks. Apple shares just taking a leg lower. Um, Fast Money friend Gene Munster dialed into the company's conference call. He'll bring us all the market-moving headlines next. More Fast Money next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's on the move. The stock is lower in the after hours. Phil LeBeau has been tracking the earnings. Got the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa. One reason it's lower is because Tesla missed, I should say, when it came to uh, earnings per share for the fourth quarter. Yes, it was a profit. They earned 80 cents a share, 21 cents shy of expectations. Revenue coming in is a little better than expected at $10.7 billion, but it's the numbers within the numbers that are getting a fair amount of attention right now. Free cash flow of $1.9 billion, and then you have gross margin of 19.2%. That is shy of what many analysts were expecting, and there's no explicit guidance on 2021 sales, not just production, but sales as well. The production will be about a million vehicles, but on the sales side, they delivered a half million vehicles last year. Today, they have yet to give exactly what they're expecting to deliver for 2021. The analysts are expecting 796000 All they said in the earnings release is 50% annual growth over the next several years is what they are expecting. Do the math. That comes out to a little more than 750000 But again, nothing explicit for 2021. The conference call is going to begin shortly. And what's going to be interesting is to see what they say about those delivery guidance numbers, if you will. Also, by the way, they have said that the Berlin and the Austin, Texas gigafactories, they're on track for first deliveries to begin a little bit later on this year. Melissa? All right, Phil, thank you. Keep us posted. Um, 
We will check in with Phil when the conference call gets underway again. That's in about an hour's time. Sigrasa, what did you make of this quarter? Tesla does seem to be in the sweet spot right now in terms of the political environment, for sure, and investment trends in terms of ESG. Totally in the, in, in the, in the target zone where it should be for a Biden administration. But as Phil said, the uh, gross margins were considerably less than what the street was looking for. And I, I believe uh, Elon was actually looking for 840,000 deliveries to a million this year or in that vicinity. Uh, that was his exact terminology. Every time you bet against Tesla, you lose. You look at the chart. People have been taking out, taken out in body bags in this one. There used to be a liquidity problem, Melissa. There's no more liquidity problem for Tesla. So I still think you have to bet on it, but you have to trade this one. You can't just buy all in, but ultimately this one can, uh, probably continues to move higher. Yeah, the gross margins were lower, um, not just versus expectations, but also sequentially lower, which is not a good thing. Free cash flow, you mentioned free cash flow, $1.9 billion in the fourth quarter. That pillar of the bear thesis is obliterated, especially um, now, right, guy with the stock where it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, it's funny that Phil looked at the same thing I was looking at. That gross margin number came in at 19.2%. I think it's expectations for about 23.5%. And you mentioned sequentially lower. I mean, that, I think, has got some people a wee bit concerned. But I'll say this, and I understand free cash flow, and I totally get it, but it was really never an earnings story on the way up, uh, and it really shouldn't necessarily be one now. I mean, it should all come down to if you believe the vision or if you don't. So I'm sort of with Steve on this one. Every time the stock has been bet against, it's been the wrong way to do it. And I think this sell-off is probably going to be bought as well once the broader market tape settles down. Energy generation and storage revenue is also an interesting line item. I saw that number and it sort of popped out at me in, the, in terms of the shareholder letter. Gene Munster tweeted this. The revenue is actually up 72 percent in the December quarter compared to 44 percent in June, 1 percent in March. That's becoming a bigger, still a small, but a bigger uh, part of the business, certainly when it comes to actually just the growth percentage, uh, Tim. That's, that's sort of where you want to be positioned. Yeah, well, I think this is this is one of those uh, other dynamics that's been pushing the multiple higher for for a couple of years, especially on storage. So, I mean, look, um, agree. Why, why should these numbers count uh, against them now when when actually you know the free cash flow and the balance sheet dynamics are not in question at all? Um, I actually saw that that uh, they expect 2021 average, excuse me, annual uh, annual delivery growth of of expect around 50 percent. That's what I saw on the, on the tape just recently. So, um, you know, that's 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 about as close as you get with hand grenades and, and horseshoes sometimes with this company. And and uh, even though they've been very specific in the past, I think that number's in line with expectations of where the analyst community is. So eight hundred and sixty billion dollar market cap. Um, hard to uh, worry about this balance sheet. All right. Coming up. Apple shares, they are on the move. They are getting uh, close to after-hour session lows. You will not believe what was just said on the company's conference call. We'll bring you the details next. And later, Wall Street's Reddit rebellion. What is the social chat community up to now? The details straight ahead when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Whirlpool sinking despite beating on revenue and earnings. Uh, Karen, you have been watching this stock. Not just watching, yes, I own this stock. Um, 
You know, I think I don't know what happened at the end of the day in trading today. Whirlpool was up, uh, I don't know, three or four bucks going into the close. Uh, these earnings were very good. It was a strong beat, a strong beat on revenue, strong beat on earnings. But I guess, you know, the people were thinking the number should be even higher. The whisper number was higher. The bar was set higher. Um, they still talk about, you know, very positive um, housing dynamics and um, they are a little bit supply constrained. The story to me is the same as it was, you know, yesterday. So I still like it. I'm staying long. If it goes below 200, I think it's a, just a tad over that right now. Uh, I would probably add. Yeah. Not expensive. The CEO was on CNBC and seemed to be very optimistic that it wasn't just a pandemic sort of pop. He said we're well beyond that initial spike of freezers and microwaves in demand, Tim. Um, you pitched this stock. You fast pitched this stock before. So what did you make of the quarter? It was... It- it was power pitch. It was, it was an excellent quarter. We weren't expecting growth here, and we were expecting an outlook that was more in line with, with demand. I, I will say this. I was long uh, Whirlpool uh, from 170 to 200, 160 to 200, and, and, and I'm out of the stock. I, I, I think it's still a great uh, medium to long-term holding. Part of it was just being a little tactical around what we've seen with a lot of the industrials and, and frankly, a very, very strong run. But I, I think this is a great company. I continue to consider this a housing play. I've said that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the company. There was nothing wrong with that quarter. The valuation is actually very attractive. And these trends in housing, as he pointed out, have gone from just COVID playing defense to people truly structurally getting into a remodeling uh, and a whole new housing trend that's very, very strong for these guys. Yep. Uh, let's take a check on shares of Apple. Um, they're off the after-hour session lows, but they are down by 3% right now. The call is underway. Loop Ventures' Gene Munster has been listening in. So, Gene, what's behind this dip? Uh, the dip came from some confusion about the iPhone channel inventory. They talked about drawing down the channel inventory. And so what that means is that essentially that really good iPhone number wasn't maybe as good as people thought it was because of this channel inventory drawdown. And then later on the call, they just uh, clarified their comments that while channel inventory was drawn down quarter over quarter, it was still lower than it was a year ago. I'm sorry about all these details here, Melissa, but they are important. And what that means is that there was no uh, kind of uh, a game of shuffle with the iPhone to get that good number. It was a real number. That was one thing. That's why the stock kind of dipped a couple percent. And I want to quickly just highlight some other important things that have been from the call. And overall, the call is has been very good. Uh, one is that the Mac business was supply constrained in the quarter. In the quarter, that was the only business that was just simply in line. But that probably means that there's upside to the street numbers for the March quarter when it comes to Mac. And then I want to give, I think it was Katie Huberty some props here. I mean, she did something that as an analyst, I always wish I could do. Uh, she did it marvelously, which was trying to get Tim to talk about future products. And she disguised her question about Apple Car, if Apple's working on a car, is how do you think about new addressable markets? And Tim commented that we think about the user experience is important and segments where we can do both hardware, software, and services, bring all of that together. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not putting the stake in the ground saying that Apple is going to build a car, but I think that the leanings are in that direction because the future of a car is just that, hardware, software, and services. And so when I put all of this together, I'm, I'm surprised that the stock's not moving higher. I continue to feel great about our opinion that this is a $200 stock in the next couple of years. 
Jean, it's Karen. Thanks for being on tonight. Uh, let me ask you, they talk a lot about the strength of China. Does that make you want to increase your numbers for the U.S., assuming that China's strength is on their sort of coming out of the pandemic earlier? And then when we do, we'll see that strength as well? Uh, yes, I think you will see analysts inch their numbers higher because of that. The question also came up on the call about you know, these further lockdowns to, to your point here. Uh, and they said that they haven't seen any material impact from some of these new lockdowns. And eventually, yes, you're gonna see some of that benefit. These are all uh, what I would put as near term. I think of near term as less than one year. Near term benefits as people kind of, uh, kind of right size uh, their pocketbooks uh, through the pandemic. But what I really wanna anchor is that this quarter, uh, the traders hit it on with uh, the right adjectives to describe it. I just want to add is that what's going on here is an accelerating digital transformation, and that is sustainable. What's happening here is going to continue. Now, not these specific growth rate numbers, but this idea that Apple can grow much faster than I think analysts and investors believe over the next year or two years will play out. Gene, great to get your analysis. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. I don't know, Guy, in terms of what Gene had said about total addressable markets and how Tim answered it, hardware, software, and service. I mean, to me, it sounded like he could have been talking about a microwave. Um, I get that he might have been hinting about a car, but let's say Tim Cook actually came out and said, we are looking into a car. Does that stock trade up? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, but, but with that, you know, who, you know, it's interesting. We don't have a microwave anymore in the house. The kids burned popcorn in it a few years ago, and we threw it out the window, and it hasn't been back <laughs> since. So, the experience for a microwave for me is a little bit different than everybody else. But I think it probably would have sold off on the back of a flat-out Cayman said car. But when you dance around it, it gives people something to think about. Again, I think the only reason the stock is low, again, my opinion, is the fact that you know services revenue, which were trending north of 20 percent, were now somewhere between 14 and 15 percent. But that's just being a victim of their own success. I mean, it's an extraordinary quarter. I don't think there's any way to get around it. And Gene's right. It probably should trend higher on the back of this. All right. It's down less than 2% right now. We'll keep you posted on it. Coming up, we're going to get a lot more on all today's earnings action and a special bonus edition of Fast Money, including details from Tesla's call. That call starts at 6.30 and our bonus hour starts at 6. But first, the Reddit revolution playing out in a very big way in the options market. We'll take a look at some of the most active trades and what they can tell you about your money. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast. Got a big interview coming your way tomorrow. Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian will join the gang on Squawk Box. Be sure to catch that tomorrow, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, take a look at some of these outsized moved, moves in some heavily shorted socks. Mike Coe spotted some equally wild activity in these names on the options front. Mike, what are you looking at? Yeah, so, I mean, on Monday we talked about some of these names. We talked about BlackBerry. We talked about Nokia. We talked about AMC Entertainment, the theater company. And, of course, we talked about GameStop. All of those have seen explosive options volume. And today, actually, all of them traded over a million contracts. Nokia, in fact, traded more than three million contracts. And all of them have seen explosive gains over the course of the last five days. Nokia is the worst performing of those four stocks I just mentioned, up 56% in just the last five days. But there are some other stocks, too, that are seeing some similar activity. Express and Fossil also seeing a lot of unusual options volume. Fossil traded more than seven times its average daily options volume today. That stock is up almost 160% over the last five days. Amazing. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. 
Final trade time, Tim. Merck is a name that I think in difficult times is a very conservative. This trade down to 75, 76 area, I think is a place to buy Merck, M-R-K. Karen. Yeah, Anthem, we didn't get to it, but they reported earnings that were a tiny bit light. 75 cents light from 25.37 to 24.50 is what they reported. So the street put it at a 47 multiple on that miss and left the rest of the 24.50 earnings at 11. Right. That is too cheap. Steve. Anthem here. West Rock, they print their earnings tomorrow, hoping for a great print. West Rock. We'll tweet, guys. Bonus hour, Fast Money starts right after this. Hey, Mad Money fans, I'm Melissa Lee. Kramer's off tonight, but we are all over the earnings extravaganza playing out in the aftermarket. Apple, Facebook, Tesla, all on the move after reporting results. Tesla's call kicks off in less than 30 minutes. We will be on it and we'll break in with any big headlines. We'll get to the earnings in just a moment, but we've got to start off with today's brutal sell-off on Wall Street. Stocks plunging into the close with the S&P falling 2.5%. The sell-off taking no prisoners with every single S&P sector finishing the day firmly in the red. The big drop comes as we saw more outsized moves from some of the most shorted stocks in the market. Names like GameStop, AMC, and Express. 23.7 billion shares changing hands today. That is the highest volume day going back to at least 2007. So was today a big warning shot to investors that the wheels could be about to come off this rally? Dan, what do you think? Dan Nathan joins us. Hi, Mel. Um, hi, Mad Money crew. Uh, great to be with you. You know, listen, th- this was the sort of day I think a lot of investors were kind of bracing for in a way. I think that the last couple months had been a kind of easy path. When you think about it, there was a lot of uncertainty that was taken out of the way. We knew there was going to be some big fiscal stimulus on top of the stimulus that we got in Q4 of last year, the hope of a blue wave. And then you had infrastructure spending. We just didn't have a lot of volatility. The VIX, the S&P volatility index seemed to be pinned down in the low 20s or so. So in, in, in many ways, it just seemed like, yes, there was um, this waiting for a pullback a little bit just to kind of shake out some weak hands. But it's not just stocks, Mel, that we've seen this in. You know, I'll let BK speak to cryptos had a, a little bit of a sell, sell off, in particular Bitcoin. Um, the way the banks ran into their earnings, first group of the S&P 500 report, JP Morgan, best of breed, down 10 percent in nearly a straight line since it reported. So in a lot of ways, I think it's just taking out a little of the early 2021 market exuberance. Uh, Do you think that what's going on with these heavily shorted stocks had anything to do at all with this market move that we saw, whether it be because uh, shorts were covering their shorts and had to sell long positions in order to do so? Uh, Maybe margin calls were going on. Maybe fundamental investors were simply just getting spooked by what was going on and said, you know what, I'm stepping back for a minute. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, listen, when you see these sorts of dislocations, I think it asks, or has a lot of investors rethinking a lot of the stuff that they might have had on autopilot, right? And so um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that just the, the, the notion that a stock could gap up 100% in an evening starts to make a lot of risk managers think twice about what their um, their portfolio managers, what sort of risk that they have on. So I think it's probably a pretty good wake-up call. Um, listen, I think it's really important to remember, while we're spending a lot of time talking about GameStop and a lot of these other names that are gapping up, in the terms of like market capitalization, they're not that big. They're not going to cause some major market dislocation, but we do see the potential for uh, investors to kind of reevaluate 
evaluate um, what they're willing to own and at what valuations. And I think that's really important. Last night, Tom Lee, last night told us maybe the goalposts are moving the way that equity valuations work going forward. I don't really agree with that. Um, he had a good thesis behind it, but those thesis, before the goalposts can be moved, they need to be tested, and that might be what's happening right now. Yeah, I don't think anybody is necessarily saying that the moves in these stocks are in and of themselves causing the sell-off in the markets, but that the moves in these stocks may have ripple effects, and it might be psychological ripple effects uh, on some of the market participants right now, which could influence the direction of the broader markets. James, uh, what did you make of the sell-off here, and did you, did you buy anything? Well, we own lots of volatility. Uh, we've been excited about volatility for months now uh, because of what happened today. Obviously, there's been an incredible amount of bullish sentiment in all asset classes, commodities, stocks, um, real estate. And we've seen energy behind buying like no other time in history. If you look at the past 90 days or even the past days since the election was decided, there has never been an ascent of equity indexes like there has been before. And so it was bound to come to an end. We knew that this was coming. We never know the timing. I believe it's just the beginning. And we're simply back to where we were a week and a half ago in terms of equity valuations. I think we have a lot more to go on the downside and yeah. a lot more to go on the upside for volatility. You know, James, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably one of the more bearish uh, panelists on fast money in general. So I'm, cu I'm curious in terms of um, your take on short selling. Is that something that you might think twice about these days? I mean, you mentioned the, the Russell and the move in the Russell, right? And what we saw today in the small cap, the S&P 500 small cap index, is that it actually got helped by these monster moves in an AMC, in a GameStop, et cetera. So while the overall markets were down 2.5%, we saw basically a flat performance uh, in the small cap 600 index. So do you rethink what you're doing as a short seller? We don't want to be short. We don't want to be mm -hmm. short because the markets have an incredible amount of energy. Uh, I think they've been referred to an angry mob a few times. Uh, we want to be long volatility here. And volatility usually is inversely correlated with equity markets. But when we saw volatility rise at the same time uh, as all the big indexes last week, we knew that there was some pressure coming. Russell 2000 has barely moved relative to its last 90 days. Uh, the selling we saw today, as you mentioned, could possibly have been helped by some energy and specific names. Uh, but just a very, very slight move to the downside today. You know, coming 2.5% off on an index happens about one every 1% of trading days. Uh, but we think this is just the beginning. It's just a small clue of what kind of negative energy come to the market. This market is still higher than it's ever been in history prior to the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, on top of the S&P small cap index, Dan, the XRT, we talked about this and, and how it is composed in terms of its top uh, holdings and how it is exposed yeah. to GameStop. And that ETF finished higher on the day by, what, 12%. Yeah, you know, Mel, you and I have been doing this together for a long time, and it feels like the, the times that we kind of unlock what are in ETFs, that usually means that there's some big stuff going on in the markets, right? It's kind of like the more you know in a way. And so when you look at the XRT, you know, for years, we could have quoted it as a proxy for retail, thinking about big box or some of those other names that you shop at all the time. But when you look at the XRT right now in the outperformance relative to the broad market, and then you look and see that GameStop, which was a 
single-digit bricks-and-mortar retail that most of us would have thought was going out of business a year ago makes up nearly 10% of the weight of that ETF, you start scratching your head a little bit. And James just mentioned um, the Russell 2000. A lot of those names are in the IWN, the ETF that tracks that, and driving a lot of that relative outperformance. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that really it's important. I love ETFs. I think they're great vehicles for investors. You, you just usually get rid of most of that idiosyncratic stock risk. But here's an example where that is not the case. Um, and if you are along the XRT, you are benefiting from some of the silliness that's going on with this GameStop. Yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of stocks on the move in the after our session that we're keeping a track track of um, all on earnings reports, Apple, Facebook, Tesla, all out with results. Apple's call just wrapped up. So let's get to Josh Lipton, who's got the highlights. Josh. So, Melissa, CFO Luca Maestri was on the call. He did not offer formal guidance, but he did offer some color on what Apple is seeing ahead. And you did see the stock tick lower on that color, that commentary. Um, Maestri saying they believe growth will accelerate on a year-over-year basis. And an aggregate followed typical seasonality on a sequential basis. And then he dug into some product categories here. He said services is going to face a tougher comp, meaning in the March quarter last year, pandemic, lockdowns, that meant real strength in certain services. So a tougher comp is coming there. They also believe that year-over-year growth in that wearables category is going to decelerate compared to uh, Q1. Lucas saying as Apple plans to decrease AirPod channel inventory, as is typical after the holiday quarter, they said. Uh, Gross margins, uh, they said, similar to the December quarter, which, remember, clocked in at 39.8%. By the way, they also gave a new stat. They said the installed base now exceeding $1.65 billion, so the number of active devices in people's hands. That does show the strength of Apple's ecosystem and also potential addressable market there for, for services. Cook did tell me, by the way, he is supply constrained right now on the iPhone 12 Pro, though he's hoping, he said, to come into supply demand balance soon. Uh, Luca Maestri also talked about their net cash position, $84 billion right now, and they did return over $30 billion in the December quarter. Back to you, Melissa. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, jo- oh, Josh, you know, actually, I want to ask you a question about um, what Gene had mentioned in terms of a car, how Katie Huberty and Morgan Stanley had asked him, how do you think, Tim Cook, how do you think about new addressable markets and what Gene took away was that he was swiping at Apple getting into a car. What did you think? Yeah, so that's always tough. You know, I, I have a chance to speak with uh, Tim Cook every quarter for years now. I weighed, Melissa, whether to get into that. You know, my time is understandably pretty brief with Tim. I didn't go near that because I was pretty sure the answer I was going to get, which is, you know what, Josh, we don't talk about our product pipeline. So I respect the uh, the courage there of the analysts for asking <laughs> that, but I didn't think you got a whole lot of specifics. You know, Tim just basically said, listen, we always ask ourselves generally, is it a product we want to use? Is it a product that would somehow combine? you know, uh, hardware, software, and services, but I didn't think you got a whole lot, and I I wouldn't expect to get much from Tim on that. Yeah. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Um, And I I had said, Dan, I said to Guy that, you know, he could have been talking about anything when he was talking about a combination of hardware, software, and services. He could have been talking about a smart washer-dryer, for all I know. Uh, I don't know. What did did you think of this quarter, Dan? What do you think of of the action in the stock in the aftermarket? Yeah, so the quarter was fantastic. They printed $111 billion in revenues. I think there's only one other company um, that's ever been listed on a U.S. exchange that's done that uh, in a quarter, and that's Walmart. And what's astounding about um, Apple's result of that is that they have 40% gross margins. I mean, it's truly astounding. So when you think about your, your question about where do they go next, you know, the, this total addressable market for smartphones globally is about, I don't know, $450 billion. They 
they already have a huge percentage of the high end there, right? And so he talked about that total addressable market um, for services that depends right now on smartphone growth. And I think it's fairly saturated, right? And I, obviously there's a big upgrade to 5G, more services, more value added services, that sort of thing. But you know what's a huge addressable market now is the auto market. It's about two and a half trillion, right? And so if they can combine all their capabilities, hardware, software, services, and attack that um, that autonomous market that is nascent. It doesn't exist right now, and they can do it the way, they don't have to be first, they just have to do it better. That's always been their policy. Then that's a huge market, that's a huge leg. I heard your discussion on Fast Money earlier, and I would just say, I know those guys were a bit exhausted from the whole conversation, I'd say that is a massive thing. That's the thing that turns it into a $4 trillion really? market cap company over the next few years. Yes, I do. Okay, um, I think the key here though is if since we don't know about whether or not Apple's getting into being a car company as well, Brian Kelly, who joins us now, uh, is Apple worth the valuation? 33 times a full year, 21 earnings. Yeah, so first of all, the show starts at 11 past, right? <laughs> not on the hour. Whenever Very you different. show up is when it gets started, Brian uh, yeah. Kelly. <laughs> there we go, there we go. So, so here's what I'd say about Apple. It really depends if you're a trader or an investor in this. If you're a trader, you're looking quarter to quarter, what's going to drive those earnings next quarter? And you're going to say, okay, maybe, as Dan says, iPhone sales are decelerating. They had some issues with maybe Mac sales, but you can, might be able to look through that and say, hey, that's going to the new iPad that's replacing the Mac. But if you're an investor, you're saying exactly what you were just asking about. What else can this company do? And am I willing to make a bet on that? I would be willing to make a bet on that on any weakness, whether it's the car market, wearables, where they're just getting started. These things are just starting to take off and anything else they come up with. I think then you say, yes, this can grow into the valuation uh, that the market is putting on it, if not more. James, where do you stand on Apple? Is this a weakness? I mean, it's down almost 3%. It was down in the regular session, too, with the broader sell-off. Is this a weakness you take advantage of? Well, I think BK's right. It depends on who you are. If you're a long-term Apple shareholder, you like the idea of them positioning themselves uh, for this super cycle of 5G energy that's going to go into these devices, that they're obviously going to own and control uh, from a dominant market share position, both in terms of popularity and technical ability uh, and monetization. Obviously, uh, Apple is getting all those wonderful licensing fees for Google from it being the standard search engine on its devices. These little types of things are what populates all the big profit wins over the next future quarters. In the short term, I do think Apple is heading into, obviously, so much strength, so much tailwind from COVID. COVID has got people buying new devices and new laptops uh, so they can work from home and they can do school from home. There's a lot of short-term positive momentum in Apple that may pay off, come off if we roll into a bearish cycle here in the broader market, uh, or even in Apple. Some people are going to take profits, but it's a monster company. It's always going to be a dominant consumer friendly strong business uh and long term i think people continue to hold it short term if you want to take profits here it makes a lot of sense i mean in many respects it's defensive dan it's got a lot of cash in the balance sheet pays dividends you know all those things 
Yeah, I, I think Jim is, uh, or James is correct. I mean, when you think about the stock made that all-time high, it was a euphoric high on September 2nd. I think the stock had gapped in late July from like 96. It went up to almost 140 in what felt like a straight line. And then it had a quick 23% pullback in a month. I think it, you have to be cognizant of the fact that even the biggest stocks in the market have the potential to pull back like that. And they give you the opportunity. Last night, Mel, on Fast Money, we were talking about Microsoft. We were talking about a blowout quarter and a great setup um, as a breakout candidate right after just this guidance in the quarter that they had. Well, what did the stock do? It didn't do a whole heck of a lot today. Expectations were high, and they met those expectations. So the question is, who's the incremental buyer here with Apple just a couple percent from an all-time high after giving the guidance that they gave that we know there might be some palpitations um, given some supply uh, constraints and that sort of thing, difficult comparisons um, as we get further into the year. So if anything, this stock should consider consolidate a little bit. And if you're bullish on this thing about some of these fundamental drivers, you almost want to see that happen a little bit. It's up about 30% since its last report in October. That's $650 billion in market cap, trading about 34 times. That's a bit expensive. Let the thing come to you is, It would be the way that I'd play this thing right here. All right. Up next, the results keep rolling in. Facebook just wrapped up its earnings call. The stock well off its after hours lows will bring you the trade on the name. And we are getting ready for Tesla's call to kick off the stock is down on the back of its results, now down more than 4%. We're dialed in. We'll bring you all the big headlines when this special edition of Fast Money returns. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. We're tracking the after-hours action and shares of Facebook, the company beating estimates on both the top and the bottom lines, adding more active users than expected. The company is called Just Wrapping Up. CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying, we increasingly see Apple as one of our biggest competitors. Dan, what did you make of this quarter? Um, it was phenomenal. I, I mean, you know, I'm not a user of the product, so I'm not a fan of the services. I know I sound like Guy Adami. I'm not trying to sound like a Luddite here. I just don't think um, that they're doing a whole heck of a lot of good here. But that being said, it, it's just an absolute money printing machine. And when you look at the what we would call the FMAGA complex, the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon, and you look how cheap this stock is, trading at about 26 times, and they're expected to grow sales again this year, 22 percent, um, you know, and I think the I think the consensus EPS estimate about 16 percent growth is kind of uh, low here. So, um, you know, it's a really cheap stock, especially relative to all those other mega cap stocks that I just named. So take the name out of it and think about what they do and their opportunity and the fact that they keep growing users the way they do. Um, you say to yourself, it's a cheap stock. It should be back towards those prior highs near 300 bucks. Their guidance was interesting. They expect year-on-year -year revenue growth to be stable or moderate to accelerate uh, sequentially in the first and second quarter. And that may sound like a negative, Brian Kelly, but this is a company that actually did well during the pandemic. <laughs> so they're laughing some right. tough comparisons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so again, this is, this is one of those things where you know, Instagram was really big during the pandemic for small business and advertising, and they saw a huge growth in that. So yeah, if you just kind of look at the surface, it may look like, okay, there's not a lot of growth there, but when you look at what happened and they're able to sustain that, that means that their customers, which are the smaller businesses, are actually seeing success on that. So, you know, I actually think at these levels, it's probably, it's pretty interesting. And you think about what Dan was just saying on how it's a relatively cheap stock. We have this kind of federal government FTC headwind in the stock. 
that probably is what's giving you the opportunity and probably keeping it at a lower valuation. So if you like the growth trajectory, why not kind of use that headwind as a way to get into the stock at a good price? Or regulatory headwinds is a semi-permanent discount in valuation that as an investor you have to live with, depending on, on how you look at it, James. How do you look at it? I look at it, how do you discount somebody that has 1.8 billion daily active users? I can't discount that, but clearly the price of the stock could go way higher if not for some of these challenges. Whenever a company gets this big and is this successful, uh, we've seen it throughout the couple of centuries of free enterprise that we've had, regulatory scrutiny uh, and populist envy comes into play here. Privacy features, regulatory changes that might shift on users giving permission for access to certain data, ad tracking features. Uh, I saw something on another network today, uh, not that I was watching too much, but I saw something earlier today about this concept of you know creeping over the gray area for privacy. Uh, these individual companies don't have to follow rules that we would be in other people's houses. You're not gonna be sneaking into people's drawers, looking into people's closets, uh, getting into people's business, but these companies can do that. I think that's what the risk is for them. However, it's such a monster business. They're very careful to make sure that ad revenue trajectories don't shift too much. We've seen, uh, they reported in their earnings, a shift from interest in consumer services to consumer products. And so as these consumer preferences shift, uh, we're gonna see advertising revenue strength shift. Mm -hmm. Facebook is on top of it. They've got all the data. Uh, I think this company has nowhere to go but up. All right, up next, Tesla time. The stock is down after reporting results. The company's conference call is about to kick off. We're dialed in. We'll bring you all the big after hours news when this special edition of Fast Money returns. Welcome back to this bonus hour, Fast Money. We're tackling another big after hours mover. Tesla dropping after reporting results. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with more on the quarter. Phil. Hey, Melissa, this is one of those quarters where people will say, yeah, they reported a profit, but they fell 21 cents shy of analyst expectations, earning 80 cents per share. The top line revenue came in a little better than expected at $10.7 billion. The question is, what is Tesla's guidance for deliveries this year? Remember, they met their previous guidance, the guidance that they set last year of delivering essentially a half million vehicles. Since then, the question has become, Will they set guidance of 796,000 vehicles this year, which is, by the way, the consensus among analysts? Will they go even higher? In a previous conference call, Elon Musk said, oh, look, I think it could be anywhere between 840,000 and a million vehicles. So when the conference call begins shortly, that's going to be a real question and a focus for people. Is there a specific number for 2021, or are they going to give us this generic language they gave in the earnings release, which is, 50% annual growth over the next several years. You know, it's rare, Phil, because we're not usually on the air. We we being fast money, of course, Jim is on the air um, to tackle this conference call. But I'd be curious to hear whether or not uh, management really talks up the energy storage business, which saw a big pop uh, in this quarter. And while it's still a small percentage of total revenue, it is growing quickly. Yes, it is. And, And they have been quietly bullish, if you will, on the energy storage business. They believe that it's an underappreciated growth potential for the company. Um, I I understand where they're coming from on that, Melissa. At the same time, it's really hard to get people excited about anything beyond Mm -hmm. the vehicles that Tesla builds. That's true. Well, the vehicles in and of themselves brought the stock up to its highs, Phil. So (laughs) thank you, Phil LeBeau. 
Let's bet. bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. Gene, uh, the call is about to kick off. So what do you want to hear? Um, Melissa, we're going to focus on uh, first is their balance between profitability and market share. And so the one negative on the quarter, if you want, it was a negative on the quarter, was that the street was looking for 24.2% auto gross margins X credits. And that number had been climbing over the past year. It was 20.7%. And part of the reason why that dip, and they'll, they'll talk about it on the call, is just them making the cars more affordable. That's why, in part, because they delivered 65% unit growth in December. The auto industry was down 5%, albeit Tesla's off a smaller base, but just that that price leverage is working. So we want to hear some uh, leverage on, or some uh, visibility on that. Second, in terms of how the Biden administration is thinking about any sort of tax credits, whether it's for EV or the energy storage business, that could be a tailwind. And last is I want to hear about FSD. The, the letter didn't have much about it, but this potentially is a massive lever. We have a prediction that by the end of 2021, Tesla will be testing its uh, robo-taxi fleet. And so we're not there yet, but we need to see some advancements around FSD to get there. And I'm eagerly waiting to see what they're going to say on the call. And the last piece, Melissa, of course, is I've done a lot of these earnings calls and uh, the most entertaining uh, it's not even close. Uh, or is uh, entertaining, if you want to call it that, is the Tesla call. So I'm, uh, uh, which Elon is going to show up tonight? Yeah, I think entertaining is the right word, Gene, because we've seen all sorts of Elon Musks uh, show up to these calls. In terms of the gross margin number, Gene, you mentioned, um, you know, the trade-off between profitability and market share. Is it because Tesla has reduced uh, the prices, uh, is it because primarily of the mix shift towards the Model 3, and that's impacting gross margins more than expected? What's the primary driver behind that, in your view? It's lowering price. I mean, they've been lowering mm-hmm. price across yeah. the board, and they're going to continue to do that. Okay. Gene, thank you. We'll check back in with you. Um, Tesla's thank call, you. again, it gets underway right about now. Uh, Brian Kelly, I will go to you. This is a... Um, top drawer kind of stock for you for many reasons. But what what do you want to hear uh, from the call, aside from an entertaining Elon Musk? What would you make of the quarter? Well, I do want to hear an entertaining Elon Musk. I actually, I mean, the quarter was fine, right? I mean, this comes down to what Wall Street was expecting and a very narrow view of this company as a car company. I mean, as a car company, obviously, it's crazy overvalued. But you brought up this energy storage business. Uh, Gene brought up this self-driving taxi business. This reminds me a lot of Apple when they had the service business. It was a small part of it, but people valued the growth in it. So I want to hear what they're doing with the rest of the businesses, because if I look at it just as a car company, I say, okay, fine, they're lowering prices because they've got competition. Um, Their tax credits, they may be coming to the end on selling those tax credits. Hopefully they get a tailwind. I want to hear a little bit about that. But if I can hear that there's some growth in the other parts of the business, then I keep it in my top shelf and I wait until they completely decarbonize the electric grid. And that's the play on this. Being a car company, didn't get Tesla to its record high, James. I mean, so I think it's interesting that people are are focused so closely on things like gross margin at this point, delivery. I mean, I get it. I get you want that to be sort of in line, but that's not the reason why a lot of people were in Tesla and rode it to, to its record high. Well, when you're an early mover and an innovator and a disruptor, you're gonna get a lot of attention. The potential to completely steal away uh, billions and billions and billions and billions 
of econo- uh, excuse me, uh, ecologically friendly uh, vehicles is exciting, and that was the tailwind behind Tesla and continues to be. Uh, I feel like I've got a secret with this company. This company owns intellectual property and artificial intelligence and logistics fuel management uh, that is going to be needed by every auto manufacturer going with the autonomous approach. Now, that aside, let's look at their performance. The deliveries have exceeded expectations. Let's look at the expectations. The expectations were incredibly high. Tesla has come close or exceeded its deliveries in China, where EVs are going to go from 5% based on the government's expectation to 25%. And so there's 5x the growth opportunity in a market that we're just entering for Tesla. So much upside, so much great execution. Uh, And I believe that there are, as you pointed out, many non-automobile specific pockets of value in this stock. I think it's very, very positive. Uh, the stock is held up in the after hours with any hint of a miss or any hint of coming uh, close, uh, not coming uh, short of what were extravagant expectations based on uh, the valuation of this business. Dan, tell me what you think. <laughs> and listen, these guys make a great case. And I'll just say this. Throw the chart back up there. On November 16th, the stock was trading at $400. It had a $400 billion market cap. All the comparisons about its market cap to almost every other crazy growth story, the history you know, of the stock market was being made then. The stock had already been down 20% from its September high of $500. Dan was in the middle of telling us what he thought, but he froze technology for you. Uh, Again, the Tesla call is underway right now. We're four minutes in. We'll keep you posted on any big uh, stock moving headlines. Coming up, already having money in the game, Social Capital CEO Chamath Palihapitiya now adds his two cents on the Reddit rebellion. Find out what he told CNBC. And later, roulette, rudders, and rise cycles. We've got a trader triple play. Much more of this special bonus hour fast to come right after this. Welcome back to this special edition of Fast Money. We're taking a quick pause from earnings and tackling the other big story tonight, the Reddit rebellion. Take a look at GameStop, AMC, and Bed Bath & Beyond, all seeing huge moves again today. Social Capital CEO Chamath Palihapitiya gave his take on the halftime report earlier. I would encourage anybody who is dismissive of this thing to go into Wall Street Bets and actually just read the forums. And I think that you're going to see three kinds of posts The first kind of content are a lot of people doing some incredible fundamental diligence on companies, trying to think about long-term value. And in my opinion, many of them are doing as good and, frankly, a better job than a lot of hedge fund analysts that I work with. James, what do you make of this all? I'm sorry. I have to wipe that puzzled look off my face. Um, Analysis, how do you go from $50 to $350 in a week um, on fundamentals. Um, yeah, so Wait, can, uh, I, can, I pause you, can I pause you there for just a second um, sure. as you wipe your face, the puzzled look off your face? I mean, who, who says that fundamentals should rule the day in the markets? That's not always the was, case whatsoever. No, it's not. But as I was listening, I think the case was being made uh, that there is a crowdsource uh, economic top-down analysis or, or a case being made for logic around the rationale for a company's stock price. And so I uh, didn't hear him fully out, but I did have to wipe the smirk off of my face 
this shows the power of the crowd. You know, one of my favorite artists back in the 80s, Rakim, he had a song called How Can I Move the Crowd? Um, they have figured out how to move the crowd. That's what's going on here. Energy behind this uh, is dangerous for short sellers. Uh, the question was asked earlier of me if I was short selling. This thing could go to 1,000 if they continue to learn how to move the crowd. Uh, we see it came off of GameStop. Uh, not come off, but we saw it transfer from GameStop to AMC. Uh, this phenomena will probably be short-lived. The regulators cannot allow uh, for prices to get out of whack like this to potentially uh, have devastating effects on investors. And so I'm sure this will get reined in. Um, and I promise to keep a straight face next time someone talks <laughs> I, about I, a stock going like this. If you if you listen to what Chamath had to say, he, he goes on to say that there is a, a contingent of people on Reddit who also just trade momentum, which is what a lot of hedge funds on Wall Street do as well. And then there's a contingent of people who may not know what they're doing. And I would posit that those three categories exist on Wall Street as well, Brian Kelly. The fact of the matter is you may want to look down at this Reddit army of investors, but they have had an impact on the markets. They figured out a way to, to bring Melvin Capital, respected hedge fund, to its knees. They did mm -hmm. that. And so to ignore it seems to be to ignore something that is a force in the market. I'm not trying to cast judgment right or wrong, but it is a force in the market at this moment in time. As the kids say, hundo P. That's 100%. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't think you can ignore this whatsoever. Let's just take apart. Let's, besides the fact that a stock went from $50 to $350 in less than a week, look at the power that, that this particular medium has and has done. That is not going away. It also tells you how the next generation of investors is consuming their information. They're consuming it online. They trust an online analyst rather than the Wall Street analyst, rather than the hedge fund analyst. That's not a knock on anybody, but if you ignore this as an investor and you're playing in this market, and this is a piece of the market and the next generation of investors, I think you ignore this at your peril. All right, uh, we got some breaking news on Reddit. Let's get to Kate Rooney. Kate. Hey, Melissa. The social media site Discord has officially banned the server Wall Street Bets, a part of Reddit. It's been the forum where most of these traders are talking about GameStop, AMC, and some of the high flying stocks that we've seen this week. I want to read a statement that we just got from a company spokesperson at Discord. The Wall Street Bets server has been on our trust and safety team's radar for some time due to occasional content that violates guidelines. So this includes hate speech, glorifying violence, spreading misinformation over the past couple months. They say that they have issued multiple warnings to the administrations of the server. So really, this is way more about hate speech than this is about the stock trading at all. They say they removed it to be clear. They did not ban the server due to financial fraud or anything to do with other stocks. Discord welcomes a broad variety of personal finance discussions from investment clubs to day traders to college students. So this really has to do with the hate speech that we've seen on Reddit around some of these stocks. It is unfortunately a side of the retail boom that we've seen on Reddit. Spent some time on that forum this week to look at some of the action in these stocks. And to be honest, none of these things are re really even usable on air because of some of the language around it. So again, Discord banning Wall Street bets, but a part of this this broader theme that we've seen and some of the discourse on Reddit. All right, Kate, thank you, uh, Kate, Kate Rooney. Um, and you have to wonder whether or not the reach of Wall Street bets is curtailed whatsoever uh, now that it is banned on this particular uh, app. Dan, what do you think about this? Because what we saw play out in the market today could be 
um, this Reddit rebellion having ripple effects. I'm not saying that GameStop up a gazillion yeah. percent is causing the market sell-off, but the impact of that, the impact on short sellers covering and having to liquidate longs or, or liquidating longs to meet margin calls, all of that have ripple effects on the broader markets. Yeah, I mean, it may, but like if you look at the market caps of these companies, I just don't think it's that significant. I suspect that these shorts are concentrated among some some very specific capital pools. So your question is, is like if a hedge fund gets taken out, then what does that mean for the fund of funds and the high net worth people in there and they got their money that's gone? You know, yes. But, but this happens all the time. I think it's also important to remember that it's been a pretty free money environment over the last nine months or so. So people have enjoyed great gains. Um, so to me, I, I actually am a bit dismissive of this. I'm not mm-hmm. dismissive of the populist movement or this and that or whatever, but it's just going to be a moment. We're going to move on. We're not going to be thinking about this a whole heck of a lot. I suspect there's going to be some regulation. I suspect there's um, been tr- dramatic cl- collusion. Um, and I think that if this discord thing could just be the start, you know, Reddit CEO is going to be on, I think, Squawk and Friends tomorrow morning. Let's see what happens, you know, if there's some sort of collusion uh, that's detected by the SEC or something and they shut down Wall Street bets. Where do you think GameStop would go if they shut down Wall Street bets? It'd go right back to 20 bucks or so um, because the game is up at that point, you know. So to me, this is no different than what we've seen in a lot of different parts of social media being manipulated, uh, disinformation being weaponized. That's what's happened. I'm not crying for hedge funds at lost money being short or anything like that. I just think that what's going on here is a bit of a game and the game's going to change very quickly because like anything, when you have this sort of dislocation, there's going to be some sort of reckoning to happen. Yeah. That's just my take. No, I think it's a very good take. Uh, Brian, I rarely call you Brian. BK, you know, I didn't get a chance to speak to you <laughs> yesterday about this whole thing, but you know, one point when we were talking to Tom Lee that that I, I asked him about is, you know, from the standpoint of the individual investor, they feel like Wall Street, the professional trader, has looked down upon them for, for many, many years and in many, many sort of investment cases. You know, one would have been Bitcoin, for instance. They were adamant about Bitcoin. They stuck with Bitcoin. And here we are with institutional, institutional investors finally picking up Bitcoin. They were like that with Tesla. They believed in the long-term growth story of Tesla. And here they are. They're like, you know what? Wall Street doesn't always get it right. So why can't we make money, too? I agree. Why can't they make money, too? I mean, there's no reason. I mean, think about Wall Street research. It, why do I have to have a hundred thousand or a million dollar account just so I can ac- have access uh, to one of Wall Street's research products? Not even their analysts. If you have a million dollars. Good luck trying to talk to an analyst. You know, you've got to have multiples of that to talk to an analyst. So wh- why is why is the amount of money that you have the uh, decider on whether or not you get access to information? I think, it, and this is exactly the Bitcoin phenomenon: is why does every why don't you know individuals and smaller investors and the next generation uh, of investors get the same type of resources that everybody else does? It's one of the reasons why I got into Bitcoin back in 2013 and 2014 because I looked at the next 10 years of Wall Street and said, "Who's the next wave? The baby boomers have already invested; they're already cashing. They're going to be cashing out their 401k." Who's the next buyer? It's the millennials. It's Gen Z. This is how they consume it. And I think they deserve to have the information at their fingertips. All right. Of course, this is something we will continue to follow. Meantime, coming up, the busiest week of earnings season. 
isn't over yet. Nope, we are getting you set up for the big names on deck tomorrow. Taking some of your questions while we're at it. All that coming up as this bonus hour of Fast Money continues. Let's recap the day on Wall Street. Stocks plunging with the S&P 500 dropping 2.5%. Every sector was lower today. We are gearing up, we should note, for a big earnings day tomorrow. We've got your setup when this special edition of Fast Money returns. We are watching shares of GameStop falling in the after-hour session pretty decisively, now down 25%. We understand that the Wall Street Bets Reddit forum has been made private. And so you can't just go in and, and log in and, and access what this what this group is saying. You actually have to be invited to join. Um, that's what we understand by visiting that thread. That's what we understand through Twitter, people tweeting us that this is going on. And we are seeing GameStop shares down right now by about 25 percent. Granted, 25 percent may seem like a lot. But given where the stock has been over the course of the past few weeks, then maybe this is not such a huge deal. But what do you make of this whole thing? Well, I, I think it's like anything. Like we just were talking about a few minutes ago, if you weaponize disinformation, there's going to be the powers that be that, that, that really kind of take a deep, dark look at what's going on here. I don't think they're going to find anything particularly pretty. And then when you think about some of these influencers who've kind of jumped on this train this week, you had a, just a witch's brew of just kind of uh, just a really bad situation for investors. I know that there's a lot of people who are going to be unhappy if this stock goes down because this was their opportunity at some sort of financial utopia or whatever the hell they think was going on here, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. It overshot to the upside. It's likely to overshoot to the downside. Um, and so to me, I, I just, you know, listen, I'm sure they're going to come in and buy it down 25%, but if you don't have a forum where the traditional media are going to start picking up all of the activity, meaning they can't see it, then uh, I'm hard pressed to think that this strategy or this form of collusion continues to work. There is another well, side. Listen, to- I there? Go ahead, James. Go ahead. So, you know, there's what the media prints, and then there's the headlines, and then there's the actual trades. And so when we're on commercial break, I'm looking at the 150 put options that expire in April, okay? So you got three months to place a bet expecting this price to fall down. The put options at 150, $100 out of the money. The stock is $100 higher here. They're trading at a bid of $81 and an ask of $89. That means these traders expect this stock to go down to $69 before these put options have any value whatsoever. And so a bet three months out would still require the stock to go below $70 three months away from now to have any value in these put options. There's more volume on these put options uh, than there is on the upside. And so it's not always the story of everyone's expecting it to keep going higher. There's a ton of money expecting this thing to come way down. And so I think that we should always look at both sides of the trade. Um, even to make money on the downside on this, it would have to come to a ridiculously low price over a period of time. There isn't a consensus on where this thing is going. It's just a trading vehicle uh, for people who want to try to make a quick buck. Right. Here's a live look at uh, the Wall Street Bets thread, and it is, in fact, locked from what we can see. Um, Brian Kelly, this is surely the deep end of the pool, maybe the very deepest, deepest, deepest end of the pool. But at this point, do you say maybe this is the sign to be short the stock in some way. This is it. This is the green light. Oh, I, not for BK. No, I'm <laughs> not going to run in front of this thing. I mean, listen, it could go down. Of course, it could go down 100%. You know, I mean, 
but the, bo the bottom line is I don't think this is going away. I, I don't think whether you lock Reddit or you, you, know, you ban them from Discord uh, for bad language. And first of all, I've been on Wall Street for 30 years, sat on a lot of trading desks. Trust me, on those trading desks, there was some bad language. If you could ban that, boy, that would have been a different game. But my point is, I don't think this is going away. It's the internet, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, it will pop up again. Dan? Yeah, if they locked it themselves, that yeah. means they're worried about something. That's just like any Twitter account, when you do that bad thing that you shouldn't have tweeted or you shouldn't have said or whatever, you lock it so the press can't get in it. And we had a great former SEC lawyer, I mean, great, it was a great interview, um, I don't know if he's a great lawyer or not, on Fast Money last night, saying that there's going to be looking, uh, they're going to be looking at collusion um, in so many different ways. You don't so think I that regulators could are... get into this thread and see what was said before, even though the the moderators lock this thing of course of course mel but uh -huh. they can't control what's being said on the platform so i mean that's the point right and so they need to lock it down i mean listen i have no idea what's going on the, 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 like looking at that reddit is like looking at craigslist in 2003 trying to buy a used microwave i mean it, it's really a horrible interface i don't even know how people track it but it was used no doubt about it for my 25 years, BK, you got a few years on me here in the business. I've never seen this form of collusion on such a widespread fashion. And make no mistake, which I said last night, last night, Mel, there's plenty of hedge funds that are in there playing this game on both sides. So it's not just these Wall Street bets and these Robin Hood people. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of institutions who are doing it, too. Uh, you're taking a look at some of the steep declines that we're seeing in the after-hour session amongst these Reddit rebellion stocks, names that we've talked about all evening, including GameStop, but also AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm sure Koss is up there, a whole bunch of others. Um, James McDonald, just, you know, we're, we're just about out of time, but we saw a big sell-off in today's session. Does this play into whatsoever the psyche of the market tomorrow? I think there's a potential for follow through. We got to get a good GDP print, see how GDP comes in, see how the big money and the big Dow uh, components react to GDP. And we have seen this collision before. It's called Napster. Um, they got in control of it and then they got licensing around music. Same thing will happen here. They'll take the energy of the crowd and they'll find a way to provide access to markets uh, for people that are not uh, in the main street um, mentality and a way that they can monetize it. Again, two pieces of information tonight on this Reddit Rebellion. One, Discord has banned uh, this user group, Wall Street Bets, and also Wall Street Bets. The thread on Reddit has become private. Thanks for joining us on the special bonus hour, Fast the News with Shepard Smith, starts right now.